Welcome to the podcast of RUF at Boston University. Well, welcome to RUF. Uh, we're really glad to see you guys. Glad to see some, uh, yeah, new faces, at least to Lord Group for, for a long time. Elvis, welcome. Welcome. Elvis is on our uh, ministry team, so I'm glad he can make it. Um, so our series of semester is on work and rest. And as you know, this first half is on work. Got to work before we rest, right? <laughs> um, so the second half of the semester will be focused on rest. But uh, I'm going to just jump right in. Uh, I want to look at three things. Uh, I have three E's for you. Um, the first is the expectation versus the reality of work. Uh, the second E is the end of work. And the third E is the exit from work. So those are our three uh, stepping stones uh, to the end here. So the expectation versus reality of work. Um, do you remember your high school commencement speech? No. <laughs> it must not have been very inspiring. Or, or maybe some of you were in grad school, your, your college commencement speech, right? I don't remember mine, I got to be honest. But I know there's a lot of famous ones out there. Every May, I love seeing the articles that come out and you hear that, like, you know, Will Ferrell was at Harvard or, you know, like, uh, um, so-and-so was here, you know, they're in town, all these celebrities come, especially to schools like the ones in Boston. And um, I, I, I want to venture to guess there's probably a lot of rousing rhetoric in this commencement speech that you had before you came to BU. Um, and it may be in the moment, maybe if not now, uh, inspired you to think and dream bigger than maybe you were, right? Um, think about your career potential, think about your education ahead, think about all the problems in the world and how you can solve them, right? Um, just a few um, I, I read about, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, I'm actually not sure which school this was at, but he says this, he says, that clock you hear is the sound of your own heart. Sink your teeth into this life and don't let go. Right, a poet, right? Uh, Katie Couric, um, an anchor woman, I believe, and yeah, just general celebrity at University of Wisconsin-Madison in 2015 said, there may be days when you'll say to yourself, I can't, I literally can't even. And she says, but you can. You can even. <laughs> All right. Um, here at BU in 2021, Ayanna Presley uh, said this, you need not take the world as it is as you inherited it. In fact, you cannot. We need each and every one of you to meet this moment, to imagine a better world, and then to work for it. Ryan Gosling, in classic L.A. fashion, I've learned it's important not to limit yourself. You can do whatever you really love to do, no matter what it is. La La Land was a great movie, anybody? <laughs> um, so the, the reason I read these is because I think they're all in some way talking about work. They're all in some way talking about what we do with our lives and the kind of unlimited and, and even kind of just head spinning potential Right? When you're at the cusp, you know, the world is your oyster. You're about to set out in your life, and they're giving you this great vision. 
They're echoes of the glory in work that we talked about last week, the glory uh, that God means for us to um, image him in our work, which is a glorious and magnificent calling that we have. Um, But expectations don't always match up with reality, right? Um, I think for every commencement speech with rousing, inspiring words, there's also the comedian or the snark, the cynic. Uh, Robert De Niro said at NYU, he said, a new door is opening for you, a door to a lifetime of rejection. It's inevitable, right? So, so some of these commencement speakers are trying to just like give you the truth as it really is and, and, and thereby maybe uh, give you some wisdom. Um, there might be some that are like Dr. Seuss's, oh, the places you'll go. And there might be some more like what probably Will Ferrell would do. Um, but I doubt you ever hear this, or anyone quote this, maybe unless you're at a Christian school. Genesis 3, I'm going to read this. Um, I doubt you'd ever hear this at a graduation speech. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life, thorns and thistles that shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return." These are the words that Adam and Eve heard God say as they were leaving the Garden of Eden. Uh, They had just disobeyed God's command to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this was actually a test that they had failed. uh, To see if they would obey the Lord, that they would voluntarily follow his commands. They had failed this test. They were therefore cursed and banished from the garden where they had uninhibited fellowship with God. Nothing would ever be the same. Remember in in Genesis 1 and 2, we saw that God had created Adam and Eve very good. They were sinless. There was nothing wrong with them. They were to be fruitful, fill the earth and rule over it, cultivate it, manage it to extend the beauty of Eden throughout the whole world. But notice here in that passage in Genesis 3 that it is this calling the work to which humans were called, that is cursed. Right? In multiplying and filling the earth, which entails childbearing, there would be pain and suffering for the woman. There would no longer be unity and harmony between the man and the woman in their marriage, but there would be conflict, a fight over power. And the work itself would be toilsome, full of obstacles, hardship, thorns, Instead of immortality, their time on earth would end in death. This is the reality of work. A fall from glory. Cursed. Not what it was supposed to be. Do you feel this, this disconnect between like all of your expectations in life and maybe especially in coming to college and then the reality. 
maybe you had such high expectations that you were just on this cliff of high expectations and then you fell headfirst into this pit of despair of reality. Um, I was often just given this impression that college is supposed to be the best four years of your life. You're supposed to make the best friends, the best memories. How many of you, when you got here, were like, wow, this is not that fun. This is not as fun as everyone made it out to be. This is not as fun as my commencement speaker or maybe even my parents made it out to be. Is this really what I worked my butt off for in high school? Is this it? Good news, guys. You're not alone. The truth is found in Genesis 3. It's cursed. Be you is cursed. You're cursed. The world is cursed. Everything, all of creation is cursed. Even the very ground of work is cursed. Even, even the soil in which we, we toil in is cursed, which is why uh, Paul, as we'll see later, writes that creation itself groans because things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Do you feel that? I mean, um, yeah, maybe, maybe you're not an idealist and you're a cynic and everything's cool and you're like, wow, this is actually better. Uh, but, but for most of us and a lot of us, we did have some sort of dream or expectation, right? Of how in, uh, professors would inspire us and, and, and we actually would like them and not want to switch majors because uh, they annoy you or you can't uh, stay awake during their lectures. Uh, classmates that instead of just agitating you because of the competitiveness, because of the uh, just irritation at the grade they got and you didn't, um, that you would have classmates that really inspire you and that you're friends with and you study with. And maybe that's true for you, but there's probably a little bit of, man, it's not the way I expected. Um, maybe you found out stuff about yourself here at BU where um, you thought you were a person of just perfect integrity. And maybe you find yourself under this pressure tempted to plagiarize, to cheat, um, to maybe just give up and just say, you know what, this class isn't even in my major, I'm just taking it as a hub class, whatever. Um, our expectations remain high. And if you don't have expectations, I think we need to go back to Genesis 1 and 2 because there's glory, there's magnificent potential in humanity and in our work. Um, but the reality is a world where our work is cursed and we are cursed. This is the hard truth. Wouldn't it have been nice <laughs> if someone had told us this? If someone had given us a sense of like, you know what? It's going to end differently than you expect. Let's move to the second point, the end of work. Um, I think it's so helpful sometimes to go back in history or to talk to people older than you and learn about how their life ended up, where they started and where they ended up, right? Um, in Genesis 11, you have a, a true recounting of a historical moment, this building of the Tower of Babel, and, and Robert um, read it for us. Um, what you see here is this amazing potential of humanity, right? They developed this new technology, right? Most things were built 
uh, from stone, and stone is really heavy and cumbersome. It takes a lot of time to, to quarry and everything, but they had figured out how to make these bricks, and these bricks were lighter, they were easy to carry, and they could build things that were taller. This amazing technology, they came together and they said, we are worried we're going to be dispersed over all the earth, and no one is going to know how great we are. So we want to build this tower in the city that would reach higher than ever before. It would be the tallest building in the world. Um, it would reach to the heavens. Um, it reached to God. It had kind of this like divine proportion to it. Um, so they were united in this monumental task of human achievement, but God was not honored. Um, the commentators say that there's irony in that God had to come down. God had to descend. He had to stoop down. They had not actually built something as high as the heavens because he had to come down. Uh, he confused their language. He made it impossible for them to continue to work and live together. So in, in these people, instead of following God's command to fill the whole earth, to extend the Garden of Eden throughout the world, they said, we don't want to be dispersed. We want to make a name for ourselves. We don't want to glorify God. We want to glorify ourselves. We want to have everyone look at us. I think it's helpful to ask ourselves the question, is how are we like these people in Babel? Uh, to what ends do we work? What is our purpose in our work and our studies? Are you trying to make a name for yourself? Genesis 11 shows us that the end of this effort will always end poorly. I think we have a prediction here that if we are living our lives to make a name for ourselves, God is going to thwart that ambition. But if we do get what we want, if we do become famous, if we do become uh, noteworthy in our profession or whatever it is, it's still not going to turn out for good. The deepest desires of our hearts are not going to be met. Um, there was uh, this man, uh, some people say it was Solomon who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, there, there's disagreement over, over whether that was the case. Um, in, in either case, there, there's this person named the, the preacher, his name is Quileth. And um, he, he tells the story of his life, and apparently he uh, was a very wealthy and productive and successful person by all accounts. Um, and we read that he had achieved success and he found pleasure in it. There was good in it, right? Uh, it's good to uh, achieve, right? But he also saw that it was vanity, that it was a striving after the wind. Um, you have to be a wise person to get to the top and see, you know what? This isn't everything. Um, later in chapter two, if you keep on reading, he says, and you know what? I look out over the earth and I see wise people and foolish people. And the wise people, they live their lives well. They, they maybe uh, achieve everything they want to accomplish. Um, and the foolish people, maybe they make a mess of their lives. But you know what? In the end, they end up in the same place. And that's, the grave. If that's where all of this ends, so what's the point? 
It is vanity and striving after the wind, if that's the end of work. Leo Tolstoy wrote a short story called How Much Land Does a Man Require? And it was one that I will never forget. It's a story of a man, um, I, I assume in Russia. Uh, he was given the opportunity to own as much land as he could walk around between sunrise and sunset on one day. And he would mark it with a spade as he walked. Uh, so it wasn't, you can imagine, it probably wasn't very fast of a walk. Um, as long as he, before the sunset that day, came back to the point where he started. So he had to close this loop, right? He could have just said, you know what, I just need an acre, been done, you know, noon, and then he's, you know, he's got his land. But he was greedy. He wanted as much land as possible. So he set out right at the crack of dawn. He got his spade. I imagine just like a little tiny spade. So I imagine that was like really awkward, but maybe he had like a shovel. Maybe they had, you know, that. So, so anyway, however he did this, he, he both walked really fast and marked his territory so that at the very end of the day, as the sun was setting, he was just about there. And it was like right on the minute as he was exhausted, just, um, you know, having gone as far as he could, he was about to make it. And he did right as the sun set, except he fell over and he died. And the people who owned the land, they were going to give it to him, then take that spade and dig a hole about six feet long, a few feet wide. This, in the end, was all that he required. What's the point of our work if in the end we die? He'd gone to all that trouble, and in the end all he got was his grave. What's the meaning of it all? the exit from work, there is a way out. There's an exit from the curse of work as we know it. Um, yeah, if my wife would, were here, she would, she would laugh uh, because, uh, of course, I've never experienced the pain of childbirth, but, but occasionally my wife reminds me that you know, childbirth is like, it's, it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Um, and I've been in the room as it's happening, but, you know, of course, there's modern medicine that makes it a little easier. Can you imagine what it was like um, before epidurals? Um, I've seen the pain-gripped face of my wife um, as she's given birth to two of my sons. Um, I've seen that. I've held her hand in the pain of labor. Uh, she's experiencing the curse of Genesis 3 in that, right? Um, but I've also seen the joy on her face as she plays with our sons. I've also seen the happiness that she feels and the love that she has towards our sons. In Romans 8, it says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we await eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There's groaning in our work, and it's because of the curse. 
It's not because you're doing it wrong. It's not because you're the only one who's experiencing hardship and no one else is. It's not because you went to the wrong school. It's not because you don't study hard enough. It's not because you didn't pay attention in your high school chemistry. Whatever these excuses are that we give ourselves to feed the drive that keeps us going and going and going. No, the groaning that you feel, the hardship that you feel in your work is because of the curse. And it's something that the entire creation is feeling. But if this is true, what Paul says, there is joy coming out of that. Just like a mother, after she gives birth, there's joy in the child um, because Jesus came into this cursed world. And if you look at Jesus's life, which by the way, next week, Serena will be teaching on the redemption of work and we'll be looking more at what uh, Jesus says about work. But remember that Jesus came into this world, not another world. He came into the very world that we are in today. And he also had a vocation. He was a carpenter. He worked with his hands. And yes, there were splinters in that wood. Yes, I'm sure that hammer may have hit his thumb once or twice. There was the curse of work that he experienced as well. But also in his last three years of life in his ministry, I mean, he was traveling around. He's experiencing what it was like to practically be homeless, uh, going from place to place, being exhausted feeling as if he needed to just get away from it all, going and praying to his father. He experienced the groaning of that labor too. But most importantly, and most especially, he felt the groaning of the curse and his suffering and death on the cross. But it's because of his death, it's because of his suffering, that we are set free from the curse. Uh, Jesus, on the third day, rose from the dead. And what that means is he puts this big, huge stamp of approval on creation. He says, I'm not done yet. This is cursed. I'm making it new. Jesus is the first fruits. So what that means for us as Christians, we can be set free from this curse and we can see beyond even our own lifetime in our work. We can have hope to know that the work that we are doing today has eternal consequences, which we'll see. And then we can even see that part of our work is reversing the effects of the curse. Um, So this means that we can be set free. We can get on the off ramp uh, from the rat race, from the hamster wheel. Um, from the climbing the corporate ladder, whatever (laughs) metaphor you want to use or that you feel like you get in, um, there is even a way out of death. The new heavens and the new earth. Jesus shows us this way and Jesus makes this way for us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we are just thank you that uh, you give us... um, just a no-holds-barred vision of the reality of things. Um, That you tell us, yes, this curse, this groaning is because of sin. And yet you don't stop there. You came and you sent your son to die 
and to rescue us from this curse and to begin the work of new creation. We pray that that would happen in our hearts, uh, through us on this campus, and as we go out into the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.